Business surfing, gaming, and stream privately with no slowing you down. Visit spidervpn.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Newcastle Fans TV's Greenwood and Mullen Show podcast. And what a podcast we have just done today. And Sam, we have just interviewed a Newcastle United number nine. Yeah. A, no, a Newcastle United number nine who's also a horse racing trainer. So this is like my perfect one. I mean, this this is my two favourite things in the whole wide world combined. Yeah, Mickey Quinn, what an absolute hero. Oh, this, I love this one so, so much. We're literally recording this after we've finished speaking with Mick. Oh, I love it. Love, love, love this one. Lots of stuff about his um, days in Newcastle. So many funny stories. Um Probably the most sweary one we've done. Yes, I, I think it's probably that. probably up there with George Colkin with the most sweary one we've done. But not that it's absolutely vulgar. Um, but you know, um, but ah, oh, yeah, fantastic. Love this one. You're in for a real treat. Uh, of course, and maybe if people if people can't remember, if, if maybe a bit of a younger fan was bought from Portsmouth in 1989 after a tribunal. A tribunal. I can't say it. After tribunal. Tribunal. Take a run up. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, we were just talking about boomers before. I think that's why it came out as tribunal. Well, the love of um, tribuna. Three um, boomers. Oh, who is the boomer? Chicken, lamb, prawn. prawn. Oh, fine. <laughs> uh, but yes, one of actually one of the most expensive signs for Newcastle in that era, like from in all its history at that at that point, and. Worth it, actually, oh, of course, worth every single penny. And uh, he talks about what happens when the chairman of Newcastle found out it was a little bit more than the budget. Uh, we'll not give too much away on that one. But so many goals for Newcastle, particularly that first season when he first arrived at Newcastle, wearing the number nine, ended up being club captain and played under three managers, including Kevin Keegan, Ozzy Ardiles, and the late Jim Smith as well. And Sam. He cares so much for Newcastle United. It's you can just hear it in his voice. Like he's a scouser born and bred, makes no secret of the fact he's a massive. This is the thing. Fan, but what a what a, a tribute to Newcastle. I'd I'd put him up there with like kind of uh, alongside Warren Barton as the example I I, I usually use of someone not from the area who gets it. Um, it's he doesn't say them or Newcastle. It's we. We need this. We did this. We 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 should be doing this. And you know, he's a boiled Liverpool fan, but the love and um, kind of admiration he still has for the area and the fan base and and the club is is so so evident. It's um it's fantastic to see. It very is. Of course, it is. And he played with some of the youngsters coming through, like Lee Clark, who we've had on the channel previously. Uh, Steve Howie, another man who's obviously played for the Black Knights for over a decade, and Steve Howie before we've been at Manchester City. It was at the era where Newcastle, you know, were mainly in the second division of English football, not in the third division of English football, not League One or anything like that. But uh, no, we got close, but we never slipped down that far. That would be embarrassing. Imagine staying there for like like imagine having like the fourth season in that. Division. I could not imagine what that would be like. No, nor could I. But um, you know. He talked about the falling out with Kevin Keegan. Actually, obviously, they get on well now. Um, but obviously, he was a boyhood Liverpool fan and obviously a Liverpool legend. It's obviously, he didn't, didn't work out the way that um, Mickey would have liked. But he talked about the current day as well, Sam. See, Bruce gets a big mention. Um, Callum Wilson and Joe Lynn, polar opposites of strikers. And obviously, Callum Wilson is more of your Mickey Quinn, like, about how he's impacted Newcastle. Yeah, I suppose um, with Mick being on um, TalkSport back in the day for so long that he's not shy of an opinion or two. So that's um, really refreshing to see. Um, yeah, lots of uh, really opinionated views. And obviously, as he says, Strikers Union. And so he's got plenty of love for Callum Wilson and maybe not so much for Joe of Linton. But um, yeah, he's very honest, very forthright, which is um, what everyone likes and appreciates, I think. It's just honesty. Honesty, of course. And a big thanks to our sponsors, Beer52, beer52.com forward slash NFTV. You can get any cans of IPA stout beer or lager. You can get eight of them, remember, 
five pounds ninety-five, which is just the price of postage and packaging. And we couldn't let Mickey finish our interview without talking about horse racing, which obviously you've mentioned at the beginning, Sam, and obviously people that listen, if you're not a member at Newcastle Fans TV, you get to see all our intros as members' videos, and Sam is just had a lovely little smile. Uh, it's like he's just seen a winner. He's just seen a winner come through at Aintree. Who would have thought? I wish. Yeah, I mean, I don't. If, you, if you're not into horse racing, I don't want to put you off. It's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not overly horsey. But uh, Mick Quinn is a racehorse trainer now. That is his career. That is his passion in life now. So um, it'd be rude not to mention it. Um, so it's obviously a shared love uh, um, uh, of mine. Um, hence why it's just the perfect guest for me, and why I adore this episode so much. So yeah, we we round off with a nice um, bit of horsey chat. <laughs> no way. And um, that was uh, this is a, oh, Sam doesn't like that. He does not like that, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I think it's, it's done now. Can't take it back, and I'm not editing editing it out. It's not just him with the tongue twisters. He can't speak because I say tribunal, and he heals and you can't even say what was that word that you're trying to get out. Editing. Moving on. Editing. Editing. <laughs> Editing. Something which you've never done. Are you any good at it? No. <laughs> I was back in the day at college, but technology's moved on. Talking about technology, I'm actually using a microphone as well. So there you go, we're getting there. Yeah, getting you look there. like a uh, you look like a trackside reporter at Augusta National. Yes. But Augusta National's not a track, so I don't know why I said trackside. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Congratulations to Phil Nicholson, by the way. Who just won another major. Or commiserations, depending on when you're listening to this. Ah, exactly. Very, very good. But this is episode number 44 of the Green and Wellness Show, and it's with the former Newcastle United number nine and club captain, Mickey Quinn. Wade in, Wade in. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Newcastle Fans TV. It's the Greenwood and Mulner Show, and what a Greenwood and Mulner Show we have in prospect tonight. Alongside myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and my co-host, Sam Miller, we are joined by a former number nine of Newcastle United. It's a course, Mickey Quinn. Mickey, welcome to the Greenwood and Mulner Show here on Newcastle. Cheers, Jonathan. Cheers, Sam. Good to see you. Mickey, well, July 1989 was where it all started for you in terms of your association with Newcastle United, and you left Portsmouth, and was it a bit of a wrench to leave Portsmouth to join Newcastle, or did you just jump at the chance? No, it was. Um, I was ready to go. I was ready to leave Portsmouth. Um, I mean, I probably hadn't gone too long there. They sacked Alan Ball. Um, John Gregory came in. I was made club captain. They were trying to build a team, but they, at the time, they were skint, going nowhere, middle of the table, and um, my contract was running down. And then. Um, I, I remember going in to see uh, John Gregory and the chairman, uh, Jim Gregory, who was the old Queen's Park Rangers chairman. He was there now. And basically, long story short, I said, what you're offering me to stay? And it was like another five pound a week. And that was it. And I thought, well, they really think a lot of me, don't they? So, uh, <laughs> so I told them where to stick the five pound a week. And then what happens is your contract runs down. And you wait for clubs to come in. And at the time, I think Kevin Dillon, who was at Portsmouth with me, was at Newcastle. And he rang me up and said, would you be interested in coming to Newcastle? I said, yeah. He said, how much do you think Jim Smith was managing Newcastle? How much do you think they want for you? I said, well, they want a few quid. I said, you know, 27, 28, whatever it was. Uh, leading goal scorer, every club I've been to. So the process was, boys, that Newcastle only had about 350 grand to spend. And at the time, Portsmouth put a price tag of 1.5 million on my head. So then Portsmouth offered 100 grand. <laughs> Newcastle, <laughs> sorry, Newcastle offered 100 grand, Portsmouth 1.5 million. So it goes to a tribunal. So I come out the tribunal after talking to Jim Smith, Newcastle United. I went in with Jim Smith, Newcastle United's uh, new centre forward for £680,000, of which Jim said, Here's the phone. You ring the chairman. I'm not, because he only had 300, <laughs> he only had 350 grand max to spend on a striker, of which I rang old McKeague. I said, uh, Mr. McKeague, he says, no, I'm only lad. He said, you just signed. He said, yeah. He said, how much? He said 680 grand. He said, you better be bloody good. 
I thought, what the? Well, I mean, not welcome, you know, we'll do the business. You better be bloody good. And, and that's the, the way it went. I went up to uh, to the northeast from the south coast, met Jim, uh, and I didn't realise. I mean, I, I realised the club was massive, but didn't realise how much disarray they were in at the time. I mean, you must remember uh, supporters for change. Um, they were relegated the season before. The fans were burning shirts on the pitch. I mean, it was unbelievable. I didn't see that side of it, but I when I when I went there. Uh, Jim, you know, sat me down and explained everything to me and he said, look, we've got to turn this around, quickly get the fans back on side. And I said, well, I'm your, I'm your man. And then he then he talked me out of wearing the number nine because he said, what shirt do you want? I said, well, doesn't he want shirts up here? The number nine, please. No, I said, it's legendary. He said, well, let me tell you now, everyone who's wore it, no one's scored 20 league goals for 20 years since Malcolm McDonald. So I said, I'll wear it, not a problem. And I got the number nine shirt. I settled into the Northeast um, very, very quickly. Um, people, just like Scousers, Geordies, we got on like a house on fire, sent to Yuma, went class. That was before I even kicked the ball. I just settled in straight away. That sounds like kind of Mike Ashley bargaining tools. Like they want 1.5, we'll offer 100 grand. Like Arsenal want 20 million for Willock. So I've no doubt in my mind we'll open the bidding at what, six? Something like that. But I think with, with, it, was, it was just because it was contract running down, it had to go to a tribunal, you see. So, I mean, yeah, they'll have their own poker poker war over prices and players. And, and to be fair, Ashley's not bad at that. That's the only thing that he's good at, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, too right. But what what was your first kind of impressions of of the area and and also the fan base? Because I seem to remember there being a famous story of a, a famous sign from one of the supporters uh, when you when. Uh, that was the first day. First day I went to see Jim. This all happened on the same day. Went to see Jim in between Jim watching the racing, um, signed the contract, agreed to the number nine shirt, and then I. I took the family down into Newcastle city centre just to get a flavour of the city. Um, people walk around, you know, new club, very excited. And then there was about oh, eight or nine hundred supporters for change marching through the city centre. Um, sat the board, singing sat the board. It was a very faint sat the board because you, you look further away. Sat the board and it got louder. Sack the board, sack the board. And they're coming towards me. Got the kids and I'm looking. And they go, sack the board, sack the board. And he walked straight past. Not one of them recognised me, by the way. And they had both been down the south coast. Yeah. Because we were in the big league. Newcastle were in the big league before. Anyway, and then I spotted one had a sign. And on the sign, it said, who the fuck is Mick Quinn? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I just signed. I was so excited to sign. And, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you can swear on. Can you swear on this? Yeah, of course you can. Oh, yeah. Course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I said. Who the fuck is Mick Quinn? I thought, welcome to Newcastle. I think I've got my way cut out here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you couldn't have started any better, Mickey. That game against Leeds United. And you talk about the late Jim Smith, who was obviously the manager when you arrived at Newcastle. Yeah. How did he get the best out of you? And can you talk a little bit about that game against Leeds United when you first arrived in Newcastle? It wasn't Jim got the best out of me. The shirt got the best out of me. The fans got the best out of me and the club. And what I mean by that, I went up the sort of social scale of football. Um, Portland was a big club and, you know, a good fan base. But Newcastle took it to a different level. And what I liked about the Newcastle fans prior to that Leeds United game when I made my debut was that I mixed, socialised, uh, you know, anything can get me air cut, um, walking around the town, uh, getting to know the people, getting a feel of the city, and that's what I did. And, and it engulfed me how much um, love for the club there was everywhere I went. It wasn't a two-club city. It was a one-club city where everyone was black and white. So I knew what I was in for when I went there. And with that Leeds game, I mean, I, I knew what we had to do. Um Never dreamed of getting four on my debut. I, you know, I just wanted the first goal just to release the pressure. I always knew to score goals. I always knew to score goals in the black and white shirt. But to get off to a good start was the important thing. But I think we, we went 2-1 down at one point, didn't we? Uh, 
to Leeds. And then yeah. we came back and um, me and John Gallagher uh, got the goals. But the, just getting the first was like, yes, get in, number nine, penalty, Gallagher's end. Now we're off and racing. We're under orders and we're off. And that was it. Floodgates opened for the rest of the season. What was the camaraderie like in that dressing room when you first signed? Did that help you settle in and kind of get you off onto a good stead, as you, as you said? Well, when I first moved down, obviously I didn't have a place there. So we went into the ho a hotel in Jesmond. Uh, Mark McGee was there. Mark had stayed there before. He knew the owner. Uh, I can't remember his name. He's a good lad. Um, but I hit it off with Mark straight away uh, in that hotel. You know, uh, we'd have a couple of beers, a bit of supper together, uh, go into training, you know. So... We got to know each other pretty well. And then when I went in the book, uh, to the dressing room, um, Andy Thorne hit it off straight away, racing lad. Um, and then I obviously knew Kevin Dillon from Portsmouth. Uh, and then just got to know the rest of the lads. But they, you know, they, bit of trip, they were a bit sort of, I wouldn't say nervous. That was not the word. But, you know, some of them had been through the mill from the previous season. And I think the confidence barriers were down. And we had to build them up, like I said. And that first game was so instrumental in getting us off to a good start, getting the fans back on board. And then the number nine iconic shirt with a new sign and just sort of went hand in hand. I mean, it, it really four, you know, was sensational. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. I've got to tell the story that night. Um, my dad and my uncles were down, so um, we got the tickets. I was staying in the... I'd moved out of Jesmond. I was staying in the Holiday Inn at the time. Um, or maybe for that night with my dad down and my uncles. So anyway, where's for where? Score four, boys. I mean, come on. You know I had a full tank on board by two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Everyone bought you in Newcastle. So we get back to the hotel and uh, the hotel bar there and um, two o'clock in the morning, not many people around, uh, just a few residents. And the toilets are two floors down. Anyway, I've gone to the lifts. There's three lifts. Because of the time, 2 a.m., two of them were out of order. There's only one lift working. Well, I was busting for a piss. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And this lift's not coming. It's not coming at all. <laughs> and then I noticed, conveniently, to my left-hand side of the lift was a pot plant. So I thought, that'll fucking do. We <laughs> zip. And proceeded to have a piss in the pot plant. Well, the hotel manager came over. He was an ex-copper. He was about six foot four. And he put his hand, bang, right on my shoulder like that. And I turned around, looked up. And he said, Mickey, man, you score another four next week. You can have a shit in there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to get arrested. Any other city, you get arrested. But no, Newcastle, get another four, you can have a season. <laughs> <laughs> but that tells you about the, the Newcastle people, though, McGee. Like, you started off absolutely unbelievably. The first five games in that season, you scored every single one. I'm surprised you didn't get, like, I don't know, like an, an honorership to the city, honestly, because the way that you were playing, it was just it was remarkable. It was. It, look, it, I mean... To me, it was just second nature to score goals. So it was no surprise that I was scoring goals. Now, being on good runs, you know, uh, Portsmouth as well. The promotion season, I think I got 29 that season. Um, but, yeah, and I lapped it up. I lapped it up all the time, everywhere I went. It was it was like it was like being a royal, you know, or being royalty. The way he was treated, that's how good the way he was treated by the fans and... Uh, I, you know, same milk it, uh, never milked it at all. We got, but, but I mean, it was great because people were buying you drinks. Beers were named after me. Um, pies were named after me. Um, God knows everything else. And everyone was talking about me because I was scoring goals and the number nine. And I just loved it. I lo when I say that number nine shirt, it, it, it was, it, you know, it just fitted like a hand in glove the way... I wanted adulation as a goal scorer. I, I craved adulation as a goal scorer, and you do. And scoring goals for Newcastle, I got that adulation. And I just wanted to give more, wanted to score more, and just wanted to do the best in the black and white share for them fans. Do you think you could uh, be a, a, like a modern-day footballer now? 
getting away with what you did back in the day because obviously different time no twitter no camera phones no nothing none of that back then but i think we'd have been locked up in them days uh, after <laughs> but look at the same time we were professional footballers and, and we did train hard and we you know we did live a, a certain lifestyle but i've always been the, the opinion one or two years last day, you, you've got to enjoy yourself, you've got to let your head down, and right. things are going well. Or, you know, your head had explodes with stress, um, especially the goldfish bowl Newcastle was. Don't get me wrong, I'm talking to you about the successful side of me scoring goals, but there was players there. Um, well, I remember Chalk and Cheese, a blonde lad from the season before, big blonde lad, uh, and he stuck two fingers up to the crowd, and he was on the bike pretty sharpish, you know. He couldn't go anywhere. So yeah, you only did the one finger. I didn't do that to the fans. That was for the referee. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just shot me down there like a big area centre half, and, and he gave a free kick to them or something. And I went, Are "You sure?" Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So if you did well, then fans never forget you. If you didn't do well, you was you was gone. You, basically, there was no hiding place. No hiding place either way. Yeah, 100%. We've got a question from uh, Keith Roll, or Sam can put that up on screen. It says, who was your favourite manager, Mickey, when you are at Newcastle United? And maybe maybe a, a more wider question, who was your favourite manager in your career? Yeah, uh, I had some names. Uh, well, you, you look down at Newcastle, I, I, I really liked Ozzy. Um, and he didn't really get the time. Obviously, we probably had Kevin lined up at the same time when the team was struggling, which he was only there three and a half months. But I tell you, he came in like a breath of fresh air after Jim. Um, the training was different. Um, a lot of five sides, a lot of passing, moving, one touch football, um, and all the babies were were coming through and blossoming at the same time. And babies, I mean, like the Clarky, you know, Watto, um, Howie, uh, Robbie Elliott. There's about four or five, five or six of them there. And um, so he was encouraging these kids to express themselves. You know, I know Kevin took it on to another level after that, but Ozzy was instrumental in bringing them lads through and giving them the confidence to express themselves in a black and white shirt on, on the pitch. Sadly, at that time, we, um, we were losing games. I got injured and we didn't really have a lot of experience in the team. Ozzy got rid of, that's probably his only mistake, he got rid of a lot of the experience. Um, it's a balanced sport. He's the only manager who brought me in his office and said, what do you want? What do you want in regards of a new contract? What do you want in regards to this? Every other manager said, well, we've only got this to give you, we've only got that to give you, uh, we've got a budget, you know, but he's the only manager. He made the club captain, which was one of the proudest um, times of my career. Uh, not only number nine, but uh, captain as well, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, and just a shame I got injured um, in his tenure. And sadly, he got the sack. Uh, but uh, all-round manager, I would say Joe Roy. I mean, Joe, again, I was at Oldham with Joe in the old second division, and he would give you a kick up the ass if you needed it, and then he put your arm around if you needed that as well. But he was a centre-forward. He, I was a rough diamond when I went to Joe, and he, he sort of carved out, you know, a striker, a professional striker um, in me um, at that time. And then when I went to Borley, he took a different aspect of it uh, at Portsmouth, um, near post runs. Joe was far post runs at Oldham. So, so I think all round, like coach, guy, the lot, Joe Roy was probably the best manager. Um, and out of the three I had at Newcastle, um, I did like Ozzy. Just to pick on uh, up on something you said there, Mick, um, when you were given the captain's armband, captain of Newcastle, number nine shirt, very few people have had that experience. What, what's that like coming out of the tunnel, looking over at the Gallagher and number nine on your back? Because I imagine that wouldn't be for, for everyone. No, but I, do you know what? I'm a Liverpool fan, lifelong Liverpool fan, uh, brought up boys' pen, paddock at Liverpool, then progressed to the cop, and then, uh, and yet, you just mentioned captain number nine uh, going on to St James's Park, blading races, roaring out. It's the only ground where the hairs on the back of my neck have stood up, and that's even coming out of 
Anfield, the team, Liverpool I love, um, right. Old Trafford, you know, all the big grounds, St James's Park, captain's armband, airs on the back of your neck with them singing the blade and races as you're getting onto the pitch. Um, just made me go up another level. I, I, I think that's fantastic, though, because you don't really hear that a lot, do you, Sam? You really don't. Like, you know, no, really you know, and I, I've, I've touched this as Anfield and the sign, and, you know, and I thought I'd get a much more buzz playing there. Obviously, not playing for Liverpool, but playing yeah. against them. I've played enough times, but no, it's the only ground in the country I've ever played where that's happened. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up as I'm going out. Right. So it, it's very, very few, like, kind of outsiders, if you like, get it. You know, and we've had loads of people on, on this show. Warren Barton was a big one, Nobby, and then and, and yourself, Mick. That you obviously understood and, and got what it was like to, to to play for Newcastle United and and kind of embrace the area. What do you think it is that can make some other people just kind of not get it? I, I think of like Dennis Wise and and Jermaine yeah. Genus and comments he's made down the years. It's what do you think's the difference? Live there, live there, be with the people, get to know the culture, get to know the, the you know the mining towns outside the city centre, the beautiful countryside. You know, a lot of southern things are shit all in Newcastle. You know, it's not. It's a it's a fantastic, thriving city. You know, and you can go a few miles to the most beautiful countryside in Durham. You can go the other side, Corbridge, Hexham, the Catherine Cookson country, uh, Time Valley. Absolutely gorgeous. Everything is up there. Everything is up there. And that's it. Broke my heart when I left. It really did. I thought, you know, a lot of people think you can't play the one club for, the, for forever. But it broke my heart when I left because I, I missed all that. And uh, I would just say to them, go there, live there, get to know the people who are fantastic, brilliant people. And and engulf it. You know, not live in London, uh, not run a club from London and um, use it as a toy. Uh, or you know, just think you can come in, make a kill, and make a few quid out of a club like that. It's there's a lot more. There's a soul to Newcastle. Um, and it just just come down to money. When you mention about leaving and whatnot, um, because obviously Kevin Keegan was then the manager at the time, who kind of Newcastle fans worship at the time. But was the, was the writing on the wall, or did did, yeah. did you have a bit of a, a clash with Kevin, or did, was it were you just not his type of player, or what was it? Because you'd think that'd be a match made in heaven from the outside looking in. Yeah, well, it was just I knew Kevin socially through Mick Shannon, who was a big pal of mine with the racing, and me and Mick were at Portsmouth together with obviously Alan Ball. So I met Kevin socially through them two legends, and um, when he came to Newcastle United, I was injured. So he called me in and he said, look, you want to get me back? And he rushed and rushed and rushed to get me back because results weren't going well. So I got back in the team and I just shadowed of myself, you know, I wasn't ready. Um, and then he kept me, I think he kept me in for the game against Swindon, which is just starting to get a bit sharper. I scored in that game, scored the winner. And then Kevin went down the, mo uh, mo he left or went down south. And then wanted had to go to John about money from the brewery and transfers and all that. Uh, and then when he came back, he dropped me <laughs> the next game. And I was just getting sharper. So I wanted to see him. He doesn't like confrontation, Kevin. Um, and listen, we get on well now, but, you know, I just said, why did you drop me? And he said, because I'm going to drop you. And, and that was that. And, and then I was on the fringe. Um, and then when we stayed up, I, the next following season, the promotion season, I went in to see him pre-season. I said, look, you know, I'm really hungry. I want to get, want to do well this season. Um, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bear no grudges. And anyway, was on the bench first game of the season, second game of the season. And I'm telling you now, on three different occasions, when I, when I started, I scored. And every time, every game, I played the league club, League Cup, we played Leicester, I think, with someone. We won two, now I scored the two. Next game was dropped. Then I got back in through a suspension. I scored again. I was dropped the next game. And then something else happened. I was back in the team. I think Portsmouth, we played. Um, I scored another two. And then I got dropped again. And then 
it was a case of it doesn't matter what I do. I don't think I'm going to please him or I don't think. And listen, we had Gavin and uh, Peacock and we had Ned there and competition with places and we had a fantastic squad. And look, he obviously didn't didn't want me to, to start, uh, although I was playing some, probably the best football, sharpest football uh, of my life just to, to get in that team, you know, stay in it. But it was never going to happen. And then he yeah. called me in the office and he just said, look, Coventry have come in for you uh, on a on a loan. Um, do you want to go? And I didn't want to go, but, you know, they were in the Premier League, the new Premier League. And I, I, just, I just went down there to get a game of football, tell you the truth. And at my age, I needed to play every week and especially how well I was playing as well. Yeah, it's understandable. Like, that, that, if there's, a, if there's a, a, a perfect reason for anyone to leave a football club is you want to get more games. But why at Newcastle, Mickey? Who was the best player that you played with at Newcastle? Who did you just get on with so well on the pitch? Who just read you like a book? Oh, do you know what? That's a great question because a lot of people say he was the best player, he was the worst player, he was the average player and all that. But who got me like a book? That, 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 that's the one because you probably wouldn't say they were the best player, but Kevin Brock um, could pick me out free kicks. Just I knew I'd go at the right time. He knew I was going and he would, he would place it on my head or put me through. And Clarky. The same, uh, Lee Clark. He exactly the same. He knew where I was going. He he he, he would put me through, um, and that both boys, uh, Brocky and Clarky, on the training ground as well. You know, um, just knew I'd make the run. He put me through. You'd be there on on your, on your toe. You know, he wouldn't have to look back to wait for it. It was there uh, or across. You knew where I was. You know, corner everything. So, yeah, they're the two players, really, that I had a sort of an understanding. Never had an understanding with Mark McGee. Mm. But we were like chalk and cheese. Uh, Mark would go anywhere he, he wanted to. He'd drop deep, he'd go wide, and he created space for the balls and crosses to come in for me to get, give me a licence to get in the box. So we were totally op total opposite as players. Mark, you know, so skillful. He'd run at players, he'd dribble. Uh, he's a fantastic player. But... For some, we just complimented each other on the pitch. Um, although, like I said, there wasn't a great understanding other than we both scored goals, but Mark would give me a license to get in the box and create the space. Lovely Clark, lovely Clark. <laughs> but um, was was Coventry your only option, Mick? Because I, I kind of read somewhere why you didn't really want to go there. It's because you had a few quid on him to go down. Well, that was on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> that season, uh, when I was in the car on the way, when Keegan sent me to Coventry, uh, we, um, I was on the phone to Bobby Gould and he was talking up, uh, look, all we need is a goal scorer. We've got a good a team. Um, this Premier League, it's going to take off. We want little Coventry to stay in that Premier League. And then I'm thinking, it was on the back of my mind, Coventry, Coventry, what? Jesus, Coventry, Coventry. And then while Bobby was talking, I got my wallet out and I looked at the start of that season, I had £100 Coventry to be relegated from the Premier League at 8 to 1. And Bobby was on the phone saying, We want you to score the goals to keep us in this Premier League. to go down. You knew what happened after that. Yeah, yeah you were, I'm assuming you were asking for a £900 bonus to keep them up at the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, surreal. I mean, as a professional, I forget the clubs that I play for, but, you know, I started off at Derby County in a team that was in the old Division 1 and hated it down there. And um, I left and started from scratch again in the old 4th Division at Wigan Athletic made me league debut 17 and then trolled my way back up to the big league. And then when the Coventry opportunity came along, I was back in the big league. I flirted with it in division one when we got promoted with Portsmouth, but we got relegated the, the, the season after. Uh, and I, it's been a long time to get to the pinnacle of a professional career, the big league, the Premier League, and I was going to grab the opportunity. Plus the fact, every time I've seen that ball, I've seen Keegan's face on it, I went, Bang! Get in! Another one. <laughs> we'll forgive you for that. We'll forgive you, don't worry. No, um, look, look, you're the professional. You want to prove people wrong. Of course. And, he, yeah. and exactly, he didn't want to. He, 
and I've met Kevin and we get on well and uh, there's no animosity now. It was a business. It's a, it's a job. Sometimes you don't like your boss, sometimes you do. Uh, professionally, we didn't really cut it. Sam, we've got a question from John. Yeah, John asked, what was Killer Kill Klein like? Was he mad? He was mad. I'm telling <laughs> you, he was mad. I mean, you don't have to look at Killer, uh, wouldn't you? And um, you'd run the other way, uh, especially if he was walking towards you in a dark alley. And uh, he was just... <laughs> He's just like uh, a man of few words. Uh, he's like a silent assassin on the training ground. He'd just come right through you and you wouldn't hear him. And then he'd go, all right, all right. And then you'd kick him back and that. And he'd, he'd love it. He'd love it. He just loved getting kicked or kicking people. And uh, he was a great lad to have round, though. And he always had your back as a, as a, as a pro. Um, and in that dressing room, you know, you need characters like that. And sometimes when you need to dig out the results, there's no, you know, we wouldn't hide. He wouldn't hide. Certain players would, if the pressure was on. And to be fair to Keller, uh, he had a great career, and he, he did. He did a job for Newcastle. Yeah, he was a good lad. He was very much so. I completely echo that. And I have to ask, just from a personal point of view, who was your toughest opponent, Nick? Because Goldstone was very natural for you, but it's always everybody has one player that they thought oh, I had a difficult day against him but is there anyone that you, you maybe not struggle against but always found it very very difficult to get past I used to have, well, I used to have rows with Pallister all the time because he played for <laughs> uh, I mean the lad's got no sense of humour whatsoever uh, I'd go on the pitch you know, very and I'd, you know I was walking out and I'd gone what's happening today then is it World War Two, or we're just going to get on with the game? Sure, get fat scout. Oh, that's what, fat Georgie bastard! He called me. I said, "My scouser, a fat scouser." <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just proceed to wind him up to a pub where he'd just come through me, get booked, or or get, or sometimes it went the other way, and I got sent off. Um, I remember in a cup tie, I got sent off against Middlesbrough, but uh, yeah, and then it progressed from Newcastle against Middlesbrough and then Derby games to Coventry against Manchester United. And it's the same thing again. I said, you want to behave yourself? Yeah, yeah, He's snarling all the time. He just, ah, oh, he's just so easy to wind up. Um, so as, as like grudges and, and so, for some reason, he didn't like me. And, and there's always a grudge match when I played against him. Mentally, the toughest opponents ever played was um, the two Liverpool, Mark Lawrence and Alan Hansen. And when you're in a struggle team going to Anfield and you just couldn't get near them. By the time I thought about closing them down to get the ball off them, they'd moved the ball three passes ahead of me thinking about closing them down. <laughs> they were all just sensational as footballers. You know, not necessarily aggressive kick yet, or, but just the way they played. It was silky, smooth. They'd come out with the ball. They'd move it, they'd pass it, and you just couldn't get near them. It was like chasing a ghost. You just couldn't get near them. Um, so that was mentally the toughest. Um, we got played against them a couple of times and never got a look in, never got a look. And then you think, well, what can you do as a pro to get back, to, to do something? So dead ball situations, give them an elbow in the ribs, stand on the toe, try and upset them, try and upset how cool they were. And that's all you could do because my team wasn't good enough to put them under pressure or create enough chances to, to hurt them. Did, did that kind of not not annoy you? But obviously, being being a, a boyhood Liverpool fan, did you kind of wish that the team was just a little bit better to give them a real go? Because obviously, they were the the outstanding team of that time. But was there a real thing? I want to get one over on your own team, sort of thing. It's always that, yeah. Uh, just that your team has to be Liverpool <laughs> in, in the eighties and you know nearly nineties when they. John Barnes, Peter Beardsley, uh, you know, sensational footballers. Um, and a joy to watch, a joy to watch them. But I got did get one over them at Coventry um, over the Christmas period. And when I was flying, uh, Graham Souness was manager and we beat them 5-1. And I got a couple of goals uh, in, in that game. And that, that was satisfac satisfactory. Um, and then same season, I got two goals over Everton. So I balanced it up with some sets <laughs> of fans as well. Uh, all the Everton fans, my dad had a pub at the time. So when we beat Liverpool 5-1, I went back to my dad's pub in Liverpool after the game. Um, 
and all the Everton fans were buying me drink. <laughs> and then we beat Everton two one Coventry, and then I went back to the pub, and all Liverpool fans were buying me drink. <laughs> 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 I was a Coventry fan, so uh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I just wanted to do well against your sort of home teams, you know, um, and just say to everyone, look, I think I've done all right, professional footballer. Oh, certainly, you certainly have, mate. And what what was your biggest highlight at Newcastle? Before we talk about the current day at Newcastle, now, what was your main highlight in your playing career at Newcastle? It's going to sound a bit corny, put that number nine on, because I think like it's strong into you. You know, Milburn, uh, Huey Gallagher, you know, McDonald. It's just drummed in these names, these iconic names um, that have worn that number nine. And I am a, a big, you know, part of the Strikers Union, the Onion Bag, you know. Um, goals, breathe, look, just lived and breathed goals. And so I knew the history of the shirt and I knew what I had to do when I went there. And and that was it. Just proud moments, just sticking that number nine on. Getting to four on my debut, obviously, and, and making a bit of history and first five games. I think that, that was a record at the time, scoring in the first five. Just all that. I got the golden boot at the end of that season. Uh, the Adidas golden boot. I was the highest league goal scorer of any domestic professional league in Europe at the time, that season. 32 three goals. Uh, I always remember uh, Jim Smith ran me up. He said, they're going, Adidas are going to present the golden boot on the pitch at the end of the season. What size did you take? I said, 16, Jim. 16. Big lad. It's made of gold, babe. It's made of gold, you donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I was only a seven. No, but I get, I get presented on the pitch with the fans, and that was a that was lovely uh, at the end of the season. Just love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, the the strikers' union, then. Um, Firstly, what do you make of Newcastle's actual number nine in Joe Linton and also their spiritual number nine? And thank God for him this season, Callum Wilson. What yeah. a star he's been. Well, look, Joe, you know, Joe from Linton, he's him. Um, <laughs> I just think wrong time, wrong place for, for the kid. Um, he wasn't ready. I mean, you know, I'm doing a bit of radio, obviously. I heard that Rafa was interested in him when he was there, but then Rafa said he wasn't he wasn't ready, so he, he said leave him for another year. And then when I looked at his his goals as well, I think he, did he go to Rapid Vienna on loan or somewhere? He had yeah. a couple of loan spells, and he'd never got in double figures mm. league goals at any club he played for. And I thought, well, how much? Couldn't believe the price tag. I really couldn't. I mean, he physically big lad. Uh, an athlete, um, but as far as scoring goals, way off the mark and not worth that money. And look, we can all slag him off and we can all, his pants and this, that and the other. I felt for him a because it just wasn't happening and I was willing him to, because I'd be in the position, um, you want someone to wear that shirt and score goals, but it just didn't happen for him. And then, it was almost like they were playing him. And I thought, well, he shouldn't be in the team now because you've had enough chances. What's he contributing? And to be fair, look, towards the end of the season and, you know, in, in, in bits and pieces of games, he's done okay. But still way off the mark for the money they spent. And like I said, it's not his fault. He just, I just don't think he's a Premier League player at the end of the day. Yeah. Callum Wilson, though. The exact Callum, opposite, yeah, look, he's he settled in fantastic. He's mobile, he's hungry to score goals and he gets himself in the box and it's just a shame. A couple of injuries there, being dogged, you know, and he, he couldn't have more of a run. I mean, I felt for him in, in, in the, we have to categorise this season, in the boring phase of this season, when he was up front on his own, wasn't getting support, people weren't getting, and I thought, Jesus, he's running around like a chicken with no head there, you know, trying to make things happen. And he, he was almost on his own at times. And I, I, again, as a striker, I felt for him. But look, he's got opportunity. He knows where the net is. And it, it'll be great to see a fully fit Callum Wilson next season. Oh, yeah. just You just think, because um, we've all, over the past 24 hours, I'm sure the three of us and everyone watching have been thinking, how the hell have we finished 12th? 
<laughs> but <Finish> that... <laughs> how? <laughs> how? Seriously? Any insights? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, look, I, is it? You tell me. You've watched them enough. Is it a case of the handbrake was off? We we're never going to go down. I didn't think. I mean, the sort of. I can't remember what the game was, and I thought, well, we'll stay up now. Uh, Fulham, no chance of winning that many games, you know, the other teams are already relegated. So, I think it was the handbrake off. Just go and enjoy yourselves. And I, I think the football, you know, was actually nice to watch for, for the, gen- the change. Um, you know, the City 4-3 game was a cracker. So, so, yeah, I think it was more pressure was off. Go and enjoy yourself. And we actually played some decent stuff. And it was good to see him pick up a few points along the way. A man that was certainly instrumental to Newcastle's survival, Mickey, was Joe Willock. And, you know, Steve Bruce took a gamble. He was he wanted a lone player and make an impact. And there was there was a lot of players being rumoured to come into Newcastle in that January chance window. But late in the evening, it was Joe Willock. And, you know, eight goals for Newcastle and seven in these last seven, or seven in a row, rather. And... He has just been the difference maker and he's been fantastic for Newcastle. And what, what impresses you most about Joe Willamette? Again, there's a freshness about him, you know, which you see some players, <laughs> it's a good picture. you see some players, uh, you know, not busting their ass to get in the box. And Joe wants to create and, he, and he, want, he wants to get in the box and he wants to score goals. That's what I liked about him. There's a hunger and a desire to do that whether he was off the bench or whether he was starting. And don't forget, he, he wasn't playing at one point. Um, and then all of a sudden, he got a, he got his goal, got in the team, and he, he did fantastically well. And it was something which I don't think we had in midfield. You know, John Joe, you know, to me, he, he's, he's always been that type of player. He, he's caught in between a championship and a Premier League player for me. Um, the other kid in midfield, the same. Um you, do you know what I mean? We just didn't have that goal scored in midfield there. And he, he fitted the criteria. Joe, hungry and wanted to do well. And I was so impressed by his attitude and what he did in that black and white shirt. And again, it said that, you know, for, for a player like him to get seven consecutive games and goals, uh, eight in total, he's done brilliant. Whether we'll get him is a different matter, I doubt it, but we'll see. Yeah, never fall in love with lone players. It's not a happy yeah. ending. Oh, that's the heartbreaking thing, isn't it? You know, because the fans obviously took to him as well. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just a shame if, if he doesn't come back. It would oh, be a crying shame. But um, like seven seven goals in seven games from midfield. I mean, them stats only Alan Shearer's matched for Newcastle. I find it a bit strange. And I know it, it was kind of late in the season that he, he started to, to spring into this form. But why isn't he in the conversation for the England squad? Considering the amount of injuries and, and people struggling for fitness, and not, I don't, I can't think of anyone that scored so many goals in so few games. Yeah, well, yeah. great age as well. He's still got plenty to give. Yeah, you, you would think, you know, someone who's hot like that and, and in form would be given an opportunity. But then when I look at Southgate and I look at some of the decisions he's making, and you know. He might even take Grealish, who's done well this season. You know, I know he's only just come back in. But you need players like Joe, who's going to get in the box, score goals from midfield. Grealish, who runs at players. Uh, and I think one of the closest talents I've seen to Gazette, before he's all scream at the monitor, I'm not saying he's as good as Gazette. I'm not saying <laughs> he's as brilliant as Gazette. But a refreshing midfield player who runs at um, players, draws them into a tackle, goes past them, passes through. He's he, Again, he's something different. It's that England team have never had in previous World Cups or Euros. Uh, and like I said, an attacker midfield player like Joe as well. So, uh, and just when I think of Gareth Southgate, I start slumping in my seat like that. Go, oh, yeah. no. oh, he is a love child of Roy Hodgson. Sorry, so I just want to have to get this in because I think I think every Liverpool fan in particular will be doing exactly what Mickey's doing if Trent Alexander Arnold is not in that squad tomorrow. Well, because if he is not in that squad, it's an absolute disgrace. I didn't want to make it, uh, but I was going to say Trent as well. He's 
closest thing, I think, an Englishman to a Brazilian right back. You know, and everyone goes on. Well, he can't defend and this, that, and the other. My God, he can assist, he can score free kicks, he can cross the ball, uh, and he's on fire at the moment. And, you know, why not just do something different, Gareth? You know, like, like use him and, 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 and use him, you know, the way Brazil's right backs use theirs, you know. I mean, no one ever thought about them defending, did they, when uh, they were bombing up and down the right wing, left wing, and, and crossing balls in. And smashing them into the back of the net, and, and I'm saying it now. He's the closest thing to something like that that I think we've had in, as a talent in England. You would think as well the system Southgate plays would be perfect for someone like Alexander Arnold because yeah. playing three playing three centre backs, yeah. 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 and you, and he plays with about 19 holding midfielders in, all crammed in there. <laughs> You you would think that's just that energy and that creativity they yeah. need from out wide. I just don't understand it. I mean, I know England are blessed with right backs because it's about the only thing we are blessed with. But <laughs> I, I just find it really, really strange. And Gareth Southgate just never comes to watch a Newcastle game anyway. No, no. Well, when it comes to Willock and and others in the past, I remember it wasn't that long ago. Lascelles was close to an England call up. He could have been watching Carl Darlow earlier this season, who was immense in goal, but he'd rather take the kid from West Brom, who's conceded six million goals all season. I don't get it. Well, I don't get it neither, and uh, I, I I just don't even watch England most of the time because of that. Because of just look, Gareth, the reason he got the job was because he came through with a lot of them players, the under twenty ones and. 23s and that so but I think we've got probably one of the most exciting pool of English players we've had yeah for a few years but I don't think he knows how to use them properly I really don't and that's that's the difference of uh, getting to a quarter final or a semi final and still not winning anything because the talent's there and that'll get you through so far but then when it comes to tactics um, the manager fails and um, I don't think he's good enough from one manager to another, Mickey, Steve Bruce. Um, well, look, I, I, I always say it's not personal. I'll give my opinion on any manager in Premier League. And I played against Bruce a few times. Um, he's a good lad. Uh, I knew some of his family up there as well when I was up there. But, uh, look, first of all, Newcastle fans have got to realise he couldn't turn down the opportunity to manage his hometown club, first and foremost. But when the Bruce ball comes out... I mean, my God, it's like watching a video. It's like watching one of them. I'm trying to think of them horror films from years ago, and it's just. And then when he's trying to explain it afterwards, and he's stuttering, I go, "Come on, Brucey lad, just say something. Just get a reaction out of someone, you know, not use all the football cliches." And and it was terrible to watch. And look, I don't know. He got in there, and in the end, it's. He's turned around a little bit. I mean, I don't know how the fans are feeling up there or whether they want him or not, don't want him. Um, I'm down here in Newmarket. But um, personally, I just think he's never going to take us any further than probably where we where we are now. Um, you know, I think you need a manager at Newcastle who's going to stand up to the chairman, first and foremost. Rafa was that guy. Um, and tell the chairman what he wants and what he needs. Um, like a coat of paint. At the training ground, which Raffle wanted, and the youth system couldn't even get it. Um, you know, spent 40 million in his tenure there, it's ridiculous. And then he go and spend 40 million on uh, well, I've scored more goals sitting here now than Joe Litton scored in his, his, his career <laughs> Newcastle, and I don't even play for Newcastle now, so <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. And, and and all this is the way it's gone on, and like I said, it's nothing personal, but. I want someone with ambition as a manager that wants it. Like exactly um, what St. Maxine said about ambition, about don't just don't want to stave off relegation every season. You want to go and win something. You want to go and get European football. And I, I think that's what the psyche has got to be at Newcastle United. Not from the player, from the, the management and from the chairman. That's, they need ambition. They need goals. They need, you know, and, it's just not going to happen with Steve Bruce and it's not going to happen with Mike Ashley while he's still there because, like I said, he'll just pick up the 250 million quid every season for being in the Premier League, give the manager a budget and cough for the rest. Yeah, um, spot on. I mean, 
do you think we need that takeover to go through if 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 it is still there to go through to keep these players like St. Maximin and 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 Callum Wilson and, and Willock? Yeah, we need to we we need to keep our main players, uh, Jamal, you know, um the spine of the team. Because like I said, I at the time I don't think the rest are to me they're not classy Premier League players. They'll do a job here and there. There's about four or five of them in that team. But you know, we need to 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 go and spend and be ambitious and, and get players to back to support Callum Wilson, you know, to support Jamal, to you know, to support Joe Willer in and around them and build a team around the players like that and have a bit of ambition and you know take on the big teams and try and get past the, the last what fifth round of the FA Cup. Um, please, you know, try and do something, you know, try and win something, just just something with ambition. It's just the whole psyche of the club. I don't think it's geared for that. With with Ashley there at the helm, yeah. Hopefully, one day, one day we'll get to see Newcastle win something, anything. I'll take over and have a love for the club, and you know, because it's the fans that match the love for the club. We just need a, a manager, or you know, like Sir Bobby, um, who loved the club. We've got a, a chairman, you know, who loves the club. I mean, we've had chairman. We've gone a little bit over the top. Uh, the likes of Freddie, um, but had had great intentions for the club, um, but probably did it the wrong way. Um, but Sir John, you know, I got to know Sir John well while I was up there, and what he did to the club at the time, his ambition, he wanted to take that club to Europe. He wanted to compete. He wanted the rugby, Newcastle rugby, to compete. He want he wanted the the town, the city to have the big concert area. You know, he just wanted the best for the city. The fans and everything, ambition, isn't it? Refreshing to try and want to win something. <laughs> it's so refreshing, so refreshing. We can't not let you talk about your horse, the horses, since you stayed yeah. in the email. This is this is Sam's, this is Sam's best bit of, of the night. <laughs> um, we can talk about all the goals you scored, Mickey Graham. The, the love of oh, racing that you talking about them, won't we? And, um, <laughs> but the, 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 where does the love come from? Yeah. <laughs> Go all night, mate. Go all night. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's absolutely fine. What? Where did the love of horse racing come from, and what? Why did you get involved in, in with the horses? Well, it goes it goes right back to um, to my dad really, who used to like a bet on the All ITV Seven um, on World of Sport, and then I used to pick one of his horses against his, and then he'd take me to, I mean, lucky enough, this is how lucky I've been in life, growing up in Liverpool in the 70s, with the great Liverpool team, you know, in the late 70s, and Red Rum winning the Grand National. My dad taking me to the Grand National. At the time, Red Rum was winning the Nationals, and uh, I was just hooked from there. And then, owned horses, I've met my channel in Portsmouth, and then obviously, when I could afford to own a share in the horse, uh, Mick retired, he got his trainer license. Um, so I owned syndicates while I was at Newcastle. Uh, we own, I owned syndicates with Mick, I had 40 winners as an owner. And then once it came towards the end of my career in the football, do you know what? I thought, well, I had to get five years' experience, which is a long time, um, and not earning any money neither. So I went back into the media, did the five years' experience, went to Mick Shannon, assisted him, and then got my license. And I tell you what, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Football is easy. Football is, you know, putting a shirt on teammates, knowing what you've got to do. When you're dealing with livestock and animals and, and all of a sudden you're the boss, paying wages, you know, and trying to balance books, coming up with business plans, coming up with races for your horses, so many factors to it. Um, yeah, it's a challenge every day of the week in this game. Oh, but you wouldn't have it any other way, would you? It's such a fantastic I game. I wouldn't have it any other way, but a few more quid in my pocket, that'd probably be the best one. <laughs> well, one, I have to, I have to bring up Pink Sheets, which who was your uh, your mare over the sticks, really, which oh, was gutted when she had to be retired because she looked. She, I, I think I'm right in saying she was going to be your challenge, your festival horse. Yes, she's going to run in the uh, the mare's hurdle there. And at that time, she was the best mare in England, uh, what she'd done on the track. Um, I bought it, funny enough, off Mick Shannon. Um, 
mix on enough to sell it. And we started off and put it over hurdles and she just jumped so fluently, so accurately, so quickly. It, it was just breathtaking to watch. Uh, schooling at home, then going the racetrack. And she'd improved each race. She won four on the trot. Yeah. And the races were better races each time. And the fourth race she won was a stakes race at Newbury on mm. Tennessee Day. And she beat all the big trainers there, the likes of the Hendersons and the Nichols. And, and we were only really scratching the surface of what she could achieve, the way she demolished that good field on the day. Um, sadly, two, three weeks later, she got an injury, which what you know wasn't life-threatening, but we, we couldn't carry on uh, the training with her because the, the injury wouldn't stand up to the training. So we had to retire it. Uh, I was gutted because the good ones come along. I count on one hand. We, the, the, we've been training 20 years now, the, the good ones we've had. And then I hadn't had a stakes winner for about five, six years. And then she came along and then she was taken away as soon as we, as soon as we had the stakes winner. So it was gut-wrenching for the owner, myself, the staff, uh, everybody. But listen, at least she, she won four on the spin and she won that stakes race. And she's now um, in foal because it's in Nathaniel. So, uh, oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, any of the viewers don't know Nathaniel, very good racehorse, got chinned uh, in his own right, uh, got chinned by the mighty Franco on his first ever run. At yeah. And then went on to be a stakes performer himself. And he is the new sexy national on stallion at the moment. So, so hopefully a match made in heaven. And I'll be training little baby pink sheets in the years to come. Oh, I love that. Yeah, uh, Coral Eclipse winner, I think, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Nathaniel at Sandown, yeah. Yeah, no, that'd be that'd be fantastic. Um, a few questions, obviously, um, I'd heard burn in the comments. Any good things that you've got coming out or, or want to watch for the... I know you've got mainly um, flat horses, Mick. So uh, and any, uh, maybe a nice two-year-old that we can follow for the season. You know what? We haven't got any two-year-olds, Sam. Um we haven't invested this time around. We did, the, the owner obviously uh, just started a new business up. So we've had to take a pull on the babies. But uh, look, we've got some nice sprinters there who, who lay in the corn during the summer. We've got Cracking Horse called Limber Park, one at Ascot. Uh, oh. Recall the show and Invincible Land. And they follow them yeah. all this summer and you'll earn a few quid because they'll win their races. Uh, they've already won races and they're not finished yet. I still think they're on handicap marks. That they got capable of uh, winning more races. It is the ultimate aim to kind of have these kind of dream horses in your stable that you can go to these festivals with, whether it be on the flat or over the sticks, and to put yeah. it to the big guns. It is numerically, numbers wise, we're not big yards, you know, we'll have 10 to 20 horses in and out through a season. Uh, but, you know, I've got, a, like I said, Kenny Bruce, my main man, my main owner. Um, you know, he wants, he's got the ambition I've, I've got, and he's got the same enthusiasm I've got to, to build up the quality, to take on the big boys and to try and get, and we're breeding as well. You know, we've got a, a cracksman yearling there ready to come in training at the end of the year. Um, so, so we're trying to improve the quality and it's very hard to compete when you see a trainer down the road here, John Gosson's got 350 horses and you've got 15. Do you know what I mean? But, <laughs> The dream is oh, it's your choice to move to Newmarket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you so it, it makes it more sweeter when you beat them and, and when you get a decent horse. But yeah, that's the dream to to compete at the highest level, like I did in the football, in the racing game, and take on the big guns and try and get to the festivals, the Royal Ascots, um, Epsom, the Derby, and of course over here the July course, uh, the July meetings, and that. So yeah. That, that's the that's the aim. That's the ambition. Well, I'm at the races at Newcastle tomorrow, so if you've got any tips for us, Mick, you just fire them away, and we'll, I'll, I'll be. <laughs> I haven't even I'll tell you the truth. Hey, <laughs> listen, fantastic track, uh, Newcastle, and uh, I used to love the um, the plate day. Uh, tell you what, very rarely came away from that meeting sober. Oh, too right. <laughs> Had my yeah. stag do that. Very Best massive. way to do it. <laughs> Mickey, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on for the last hour or so, talking all things football and a little bit horse race. I'll get that in for Sam <laughs> near the end. But, um, Mickey, honestly, thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh, obviously, difficult circumstances with, with the end, hopefully, of this pandemic. 
Well, we hope so, and just hope um, the takeover for Newcastle fans will eventually happen. It's lasting longer than Coronation Street, and uh, I just hope whoever comes to that club in the future can have some ambition and win something, and, and that's what I'd love to as, a, as an ex-player. Uh, but yeah, Jonathan, cheers. Sam, good to speak to you. Um, stop ringing me for tips all the time, Sam. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, fine. I I I I ne <laughs> next time you've got a runner at Wolverhampton, which is down the road from me, just <laughs> let me it. know and I'll uh, I'll buy you a beer if it comes in. No problem. All right, boys. You take care. Take care, Mickey. Thank you very much. Uh, Sam, where can people get this podcast? Uh, podcast is available everywhere. You can find podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, Amazon Music even, and Spotify as well. Fantastic. Well, for myself, Sam Mulner and the four Newcastle United number nine and captain, Nicky Quinn, we'll see you all very, very soon. <laughs>